This is Shades of Green Energy, Austin's live green talk radio show with your hosts, John Hoffner, Deborah Dubay, and Reed Sternberg. We're live on 91.7 FM KOOP Hornsby, Austin, Thursdays from 1 to 2 p.m. and streaming live online at KOOP.org. Get program information and download past shows at shadesofgreenenergy.org. The views expressed here are not necessarily the views of KOOP Radio, its board of directors, volunteers, staff, or underwriters. We are back here at Shades of Green Energy. John Hoffner, your host with Deborah Dubay and Reed Sternberg, our co-hosts. We're all together this week, and in the studio... We are really happy to have uh, two guests, Leah Haney, who is the program coordinator for the Urban Heat Island program, and also with her is Zach Bummer, who is the now program manager for uh, Austin Climate Protection Plan. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks well, for thanks for coming. And, and also, we, we realized beforehand that, that Leah Haney and I have a little bit of a personal connection. Uh, that I knew that name was familiar when we, we talked on the phone, but we do have some uh, history back probably 20 years ago with family. Yeah, it's so funny because when I looked on, on your website and I saw your picture, I was like, I know him. <laughs> <laughs> right. But when you've been in Austin your whole life, it's, you know, that kind of happens every once in a while. It You're is. Like, well, we'll see. Yeah, and it's <laughs> and exciting. It out. That's yeah. great. So we have you mutually, uh, my daughter and you used to run around together yeah, I probably think 15 Your years. wife and my mom. Are we're good. yeah, good friends. Okay, yeah. so if y'all are listening, there's there's the connection. <laughs> small <laughs> town, small yeah, town. It is. Well, well, Leah. N- now we've made that connection. Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are, and and are working in the Urban Heat Island program. So my background is that uh, I was born in Austin and raised <coughs> here. I'm a Brack baby, mm-hmm. and. Um, when I went to college, I decided to focus on environmentalism, and I was drawn to geography, and it just was a natural, a natural thing for me. And um, I was really lucky to get a job with TCEQ, uh, an internship doing air quality, emissions making, and trading, and then that led me directly into a job with the city doing air quality and, yay, urban heat island mitigation, which was kind of a passion of mine. So yeah. I've, over the last seven years and some change, I've I've just worked to grow the program. Oh, so the program's been in existence for that long? Actually, 10 years. 10 years. Esther Matthews um, was one of the initial people working on it. Wow, fantastic. I did not know that. And I bet you there's a lot of people that don't realize that. And so hopefully the listeners will uh, be a lot more aware of the Urban Heat Island program. And we have the person that has been initiating it. Well, great. Yeah, also with us is uh, Zach Bomber. Zach, tell us a little bit about you and what your position is there at the Climate Protection Program. Yeah, so now I'm the, the new manager of the Climate Protection Program. Uh, I just started in May, so I'm pretty new, just trying to get my bearings at the city and uh, get on board with all the different programs and everything that, that are currently going on, which is, which is a lot. Uh, my background, uh, I'm actually, I'm not from Austin. I grew up in Indianapolis, so I'm from the Midwest. Uh, I studied chemistry and chemical engineering at Purdue University. Uh, my first job uh, out of school was actually in Houston. So I lived, uh, I lived in Houston for a few years um, in environmental consulting. Mm-hmm. First focused on soil and groundwater and um, environmental cleanups. Uh, I, after, the, after a stint in Houston, I moved to San Francisco. 
uh, where I pursued my MBA um, in sustainability from the Presidio School of Management. Wow, they have a sustainability program. Yeah, it was actually one of the, the Presidio School of Management was one of the first MBA programs to offer a business degree focused on sustainability and corporate sustainability issues. Mm, yep. Okay. So I, I pursued that while I was also um, working full-time in a consultant um, in San Francisco and in Oakland. Um, about two years ago, uh, my wife and I moved to the Austin area to be closer to family and kind of settle down. Um, so I continued on the consulting journey, and then this is my first stint into um, the public sector. So I was a consultant for nine years. Mm. The last about five years, I focused on uh, greenhouse gas inventories, greenhouse gas reduction plans, sustainability plans for everything from cities to, um, to large corporations. Good. Well, we're glad you're here. Yeah. I'm glad you came back. Yeah, definitely. And heading up this vitally important program. And so you can probably, and we won't get into the detail of it, talk about sustainable return on investments, SROIs. Yeah, I studied <laughs> that at Presidio School of Management. It is, yeah, that's a new term that I'm, I'm just learning about in, in our business. But, well, that's great. And, and I'm, I'm glad, again, that you're, you're running this program. Uh, how many are in the actual department? It's not really a department now. It's an office? Yeah. So in the past, the Climate Protection Program was part of Austin Energy. We were housed within Austin Energy. Um, and since uh, the city hired Lucia Athens as the, the chief sustainability officer for the city of Austin, um, now the city has an office of sustainability, and the Climate Protection Program is part of the office of sustainability. So we're no longer... Um, sort of organizationally within Austin Energy, and now we're uh, within the city manager's office. Well, I see. Does that strengthen your position as far as Im implementing programs, you think, or, or uh, set you off separately? Maybe that's something Leah would, would understand better being with the program for a while. Uh, I, for, for years, I know that the Energy Conservation Department, and had various <clears throat> names, was separate from Austin Energy. And it was purposely set up that way because people didn't trust Austin Energy to do uh, a, a, an effective job of energy conservation because they were conflicted. They wanted to sell more energy, more electricity. So I don't know. Is that something that, that you can – maybe it's not evident yet. You've only been in well, office for a while. I think that particular thing has changed because I know AE is, has definitely embraced you know energy conservation. And I think changing is, is only going to be positive. Like being part of the Office of Sustainability. It's still growing, so we don't know exactly what it's going to mean, yeah. but I think it's only going to be good things. Does it give you an opportunity to redefine things just by mere fact of making that transition? Yeah, that's that's what I think the, the first impact is, is that there's new people involved. Um, we're kind of redefining what the programs are, what we're focusing on, and by not being within the, the power utility, we... Um, have more reach and more connection with the different departments. So I think that sort of strengthens our position, that um, we're more available and more um, we have more of a role of connecting to issues beyond climate change, to broader issues of sustainability, and also broader issues that affect the different departments, not just specifically energy or Austin energy issues. Well, so. that's, 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 yeah, I can see that. So does that mean that you get into water issues, et cetera, and... Uh efficiency and uh, waste, et cetera? Yeah, I think more and more, um, I mean, the, the, the Departmental Climate Protection Plans right now already have waste and water components to those plans. Mm -hmm. And I think in the future, those will just continue to be um, focused on as we sort of broaden the reach to focus more on sustainability, more holistic issues, and not just um, specifically climate. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Yeah, because it yeah. is. It is the when you say sustainability, holistic. It's yeah. not just energy. It's not like Deborah said, water, waste. It's all a holistic program. And, and it's to, a web. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're all connected. <laughs> yes. They're all connected by web. That's good. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for that comment. We're you're, we're talking with uh, Zachary Baum and Leah Haney from the Austin Climate Protection Plan. And uh, Leah, I'm. I'm dying to hear about your urban heat island program and what it is, and uh, from the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm putting me you on too. the spot. I'm curious. And, and, and I, because I think it's really interesting, and I'll, I'll bring up later a, a project we were working on in in Abu Dhabi where it was really hot and oh, worried wow. about a heat island. Yeah, heat island um, can be anywhere. It can be your whole city. It can be microsites on your property. Um, and there's some. Usually, or generally, how Heat Island is described is this oasis of heat um, that happens in a city because you have more built environment. You have that means you have less uh, vegetation. You have more dark surfaces that absorb solar energy and then re-radiate it. You know, late into the night. So that means more AC use. Uh, you have your car AC turned up. It's just you know significantly hotter than it would be in the surrounding areas where there's more vegetation and there's just more of a natural process occurring. So some of the different ways that we try to address it is by getting vegetation back into the city. So we have different tree planting programs. We're starting to talk about um, green roofs coming mm. in. Nice. Um, yeah. We're also talking about lightening up things. So you've got uh, the commercial standards now for new and remodeled buildings that say you have to have a cool roof. And you'll recognize those because they're light colored, the ones that you can see. Uh, so those are required now. Those People, are required for commercial, commercial buildings. buildings. Mm-hmm. So oh, okay. you either put on a cool roof or you can put on a vegetative roof. Well, but I so see. far it's been cool roofs because they tend to be cheaper. So that's part of the mandatory process to get a permit? Or if you're is remodeling it? or building a new building in Austin, and it's commercial. Well, okay. Yeah. That's so lighten up. Um, <laughs> lighten up and go green. Those are, the, those are kind of the... Overarching umbrella um, sort of things. Please plant trees. We're going to need a joke for that lighten up yeah, thing. Yeah, lighten up, man. <laughs> what Come did on I now. Lighten That'd up. That'd be great. I need bumper what did stickers. What I say? <laughs> That's right. I know. I'm, I'm just sitting here. <laughs> yeah, Reed's pretty lightened up. He's mellowed out here. Yeah, we need a tagline about that lighten up thing. Yeah. So within the Urban Healing program, program, then we break it down into different sort of topics like trees, and we have different programs for green roofs and things like that. Can I be snide? We Shanaid, it is. Please. Why not? HOAs need to lighten up. Yeah. Well, that was that's you, you like segued that. That's a good. What we've had uh, at least uh, two occasions to have somebody on about light roofs for for residential um, imp- impacts, and we had a doctor on about uh, two months ago that right. was trying to Dr. put Thorpe. a Thor- right, and he was trying to put a metal roof and solar on his building. And he was in Westlake, I believe it was, and there was his homeowners association stopped him. Really? Yeah, and uh, so I guess what what our question is: Do you are you involved with uh, residential as well? Well, we are trying to branch out into that because there are so many issues, and there's also isn't necessarily a lot of affordable product at this point, and so it's in that boutique developmental stage, mm. and we're still figuring out what the challenges are, and it's things like homeowners associations in sometimes. I mean, that isn't across the board. 
Right, because his concept was to put on a metal roof and the savings was quite phenomenal and I think yeah. he had some other measures that he was going to do. But the, the Neighborhood Association complained that it would be reflecting and it wouldn't look right. And that's with not the rest. actually true yeah. um, because the angle of most roofs would not be reflecting into someone's house unless you had a very tall house and it was a very short house. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's not the case most times. But it's actually a great partnership because... PVs actually function better when they're at a lower temperature. If you have a photovoltaic on a hot roof, it's not going to be, you know, producing as much energy for you as you are as it would be if, say, it was on a cool roof, yeah, or a green roof. Exactly. Well, that's so that you get a dual benefit. Interestingly, and that's what I was going to bring up is that we were working on a, the company I worked for was working on a project in Abu Dhabi to build a completely carbon-free, uh, renewable energy-driven city in the middle of the desert in, in wow. the Arab Emirates. Cool. The idea was to, the whole downtown area would have PV on the roof, photovoltaic solar on the roof. And we were charging ahead with it, and then finally somebody said that you may be creating a heat island by putting all that PV on it. And I said, no, no, that's all being, it's either being captured as electricity and used, or it's reflecting. But then they started commenting, well, a lot of it is actually absorbed in that glass and all that material. And you're capturing a little, holding a little bit of the heat down. And so somebody did a detailed simulation, uh, an English um, architectural firm, and said that, no, you'll be raising it maybe a half a degree. The entire city, hmm. a half a degree to a degree because of all the PV you're going to put on. So I, I don't know. I think we need it's to restudy that. I'd so. be really interested to see what the factors are that go into that model, yeah. what they're looking at. Because if you're doing other things to mitigate that, like let's say it's on a cool roof or a green roof, let's say, I mean, you might actually be helping the situation. Are you putting trees in? Well, I don't know. You know, yeah. different things. Right. Well, we'll see if we can find you the study and you can do an urban heat island analysis of, of <laughs> other cities besides Austin. Well, uh, that, that's an interesting program. And so tell us about this uh, also program that you have called the Tree of the Year the tree of the year. We oh. missed it. We should have had you on a week or so ago to get oh. people to put in applications. Did you get enough applications? And what's the program? We, I was so worried, to be honest, because we didn't, we didn't, we weren't getting a huge flood in. But then, thankfully, like happens every year, we just had a flood of applications. And from what I can tell, I haven't gone through all of them. The quality this year is better than we've we've ever seen. Hmm. Nice. We've had yeah. more creative, you know, just like more interesting, just amazing nominations. Okay, well, tell us, what, what is the Tree of the Year program? So Tree of the Year is a program uh, that actually came out of Watershed Protection. It was their sort of brainstorm, and then uh, we were lucky enough to partner with them, and then I got to manage it. Very excited about it, and uh, that started in 2007. So we've been growing it since 2007, and every year we make it bigger and better and try to find more ways to reach out to the community. And uh, Tree of the Year is just it's how we... Um, Let's see, we celebrate trees, and we try to promote proper tree care and placement. Uh, but also a big part of it that's grown is um, sort of the trees that play a big role in our community and community development. So we have, a, we have an honorable mention now for community trees. Hmm. Last year, if you go to our website, which is www.austintexas.gov slash tree of the year, you can actually see last year's winners and winners since 2007. And... You can see some of these trees are amazing, and the ones that have that have won for the community tree are just really cool. You know, hmm. they show like how many people are involved in this tree and all the activities that happen under this tree. Oh wow! So so, so people, I guess communities or individuals submit to you, mm -hmm. 
photographs and a description of what they think is the most important tree or the best tree, the prettiest right. tree, right. most valuable as far as getting rid of heat islands? <laughs> well, I hope they think about that. Usually it's just trees that they love and they spend time with or they drive by. And so they nominate the trees, they send us a picture, give us a map, and then we go out and we actually have a biology criteria uh, matrix and we also have an aesthetic matrix. We have different judges that come from um, both the the tree industry, but it's usually uh, either in the private and public. And uh, we go out and we evaluate each tree based on this criteria, this matrix. And mm. uh, the one that gets the most number or the highest number wins for that year. And we have a large tree, which is the shade tree. And we also have an understory tree, uh, the small tree. And each one gets a plaque. What is an understory tree? An understory tree is very, very important. Mm, obviously. <laughs> we can't have just big trees. We also have to have small trees. And uh, it supports biodiversity. They have a lot of you know, different things that our wildlife needs. And they're sort of that you know, hidden member of our urban forest. So we try to honor them as much as we can. Trees that can survive underneath larger trees, essentially? Exactly. Yeah. They also are perfect uh, when you have uh, utility lines. So um, we have a large tree and a small tree that wins each year based on this criteria. And uh, we'll actually be going out in um, probably early August uh, to do the evaluations. That sounds like fun. I would, would love to be on that committee to go out and, and vote on trees. That's, that's great. And what a great program. Is part of the intent also, I mean, it's obviously that you're trying to promote growth and in, in installation of trees or planting of trees in the downtown area and how do how do you do that in addition to the this this tree program so know, at the, the actual event we um we give out small trees usually about five gallon and uh, we try to talk about you know tree planting tree care maintenance and um and try to encourage people through education and just sort of you know positive feelings about trees and it's really easy to get people in Austin excited about trees. So it's, it's great because I think we get, we get people from all across the board and yeah. we just need to keep talking about trees because they are key to keeping Austin cool. Yeah. We, we value our trees. We do. I, I think in, in, up where you were last week, uh, Deborah, trees are almost kind of taken for granted there because there are so many. Exactly. <laughs> Here we, we, we need to promote more and we need to fight to save all the trees that we can, which Fully. is what you're doing. So uh, you, you mentioned uh, proper care and taking, taking heed of these trees, particularly when it's hot like this. And so yeah. I, I know you said that you're maybe not a, a complete arborist, but you are obviously involved in trees. What do people need to do in this incredibly hot drought conditions to make sure they protect their trees? Well, just two basic things are make sure you mulch and make sure you water. And of course, I have to say, if you're going to water, water responsibly. Please check with the water conservation program about, you know, what your watering days are. And, and you can even call them and talk to them about the most optimal, you know, ways to water your tree. Um, but if you see any sort of damage happening, um, brown limbs, uh, you need to really watch that tree and make sure it's getting the water it needs. Because even if that tree has been around for 50 years or you know, and it's a long living tree or something, trees are failing and they've been failing because yes. these are extreme drought conditions. And if you want your tree to be functioning and cooling your property, you need to be watering it Yeah, and protect it. I heard somebody making a comment on another radio station that five get, for large trees, five gallons of water, and I didn't quite hear what, how, how often that had to be put in. 
or, or provided. I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, it was a phenomenal was amount of water. and that Every 10 days or something? It depends on, on if you have a new tree or you have yeah. an established tree. So there is a difference. Right. It depends on whether those roots are way down close to the water table or below the water table, if it's still there, mm-hmm. uh, or if it's brand new and just getting its roots. Yeah, or if say. they're stuck right. in lime. Mm-hmm. If it's Lime's a brand new, right, that too. There's so many different conditions in Austin. But if you have a new tree and that's anything from, you know, one to five years, like you, you have to be extra careful because their, their failure rates are, or their mortality rates are much higher. You know, during this last rainstorm, a, a gigantic tree fell over. I mean, I was just yeah. stunned. It was, you know, it was up in the uh, Four Points region, but it was a huge tree. I mean, I think the... The, the trunk of that tree probably was uh, at least 24 inches. I mean, big tree. Mm-hmm. It just fell over, and I believe, you know, it's in the wild. I could see it, you know, from the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's pr- probably got heat stress, and, and it sounds like I've heard of that. No source of water. Yeah, my neighbor had that situation where he wasn't watering it, and the roots weren't deep enough for one of these tall trees, and it just fell over too, so maybe that's the situation. All right, well, you're listening to Shades of Green Energy, and we thank you for being here with us. Uh, we are talking with Leah Haney, which is who is the Urban Heat Island Program Manager for the... Austin Climate Protection Plan, and Zach Baumer. We're going to get to you back, Zach, uh, after a couple of messages to tell us about some of the other programs, the exciting programs you're managing. We have a few announcements, and don't go away. We also have our Imagine Solar Moment. Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys of all ages, it's showtime. Join me, Dennis Kappa, for the Adventures in Sound Variety Show, Saturday, July 9th at the Swan Dive, 615 Red River. You'll see live and in person, Mazel Tov Cocktail Hour, Lex Land and Kevin Lovejoy, The Hollywood Review, and The Waco Sugars. Doors open at 8 p.m. and music starts at 9. It's only $7 to get in and all proceeds benefit your favorite radio station, 91.7 FM KOP Austin. That's Saturday, July 9th at the Swan Dive. We'll see you there. And now, here is our Imagine Solar Moment. Imagine there's no heaven. Take a moment to imagine a future where every home or commercial building has a solar panel for heat or electricity. Here is Michael Kuhn, founder of Imagine Solar, better known as Max Solar, with our Imagine Solar Moment. Today we're thinking about Independence Day. But not only independence from being a British colony, but also energy independence. Imagine a future where your home is solar-powered. You have independence from electricity price increases from your utility uh, for decades because you put in a solar photovoltaic system. Also imagine a future where you drive an electric car, uh, an electric car that actually plugs into your home electric system. So your electric car is also being charged by solar electricity. Well... This type of future is not something that we can just imagine. It actually is happening now. All these technologies are available today, and there are incentive programs in place locally as well from the federal government to make it financially justifiable for you. You can declare your energy independence now. 
This has been your Imagine Solar Moment. I'm John Hoffner with Shades of Green Energy. And today, uh, my hosts, Reed Sternberg and Deborah Dubay and I are interviewing and talking with Leah Haney and Zach Baumer from the Austin Climate Protection Plan. And uh, Zach, you have some really exciting programs that you're running uh, along with uh, Leah. So tell us what, about some of them. I know one of them is the carbon footprint uh, reduction that you actually have a button and we we share that button on our website here at KOOP so what is that program about yeah so one of the one of the programs that we have is the uh, the community carbon footprint calculator so it's uh, a website that you can go to and basically enter personal information about how much you drive food you eat waste you generate um, energy usage in your house and basically calculate your own carbon footprint um, and then um, help give you ideas about how you can reduce that carbon footprint yeah, and I think for some people that finally get the opportunity to do it are amazed at their carbon footprint, how they match up with the rest of the world, and maybe that's enough to inspire them. But So they can do certain measures that, that are listed on that website, is that right? Yep, and one of the things, one of the programs that we're actually developing right now is a program um, where when you get to the end of the calculator and you've figured out that you, you know, you're responsible for 10 metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent, a year, you could potentially um, purchase offsets um, that are locally sourced programs where you're investing in a local program that reduces emissions basically to offset the amount of emissions that you generate. Ah, okay. Yep. So it's interactive, which is, which is I think, exciting. Also, isn't there a, like a contest that you can get involved in, or does, has that been <laughs> changed? I don't know if it's actually, it's not currently running, but it's something that we were doing pretty recently, um, but not since Zach has been here. And that was, you you do the carbon calculator, and uh, then we had a drawing for different items, right. like movie tickets and stuff. Yeah. And I think, I'm, hope, I'm hopeful we'll be able to bring that back. Yeah. Ooh, carbonation. <laughs> <laughs> right. There you go. Yeah. Well, well, and you should get an award, because one of the things, I guess, good and bad things about the carbon, about the calculator is that it is pretty extensive, and it makes you really think through the process of really what's what's contributing to climate change and what's contributing to your carbon footprint. Yeah, it's eye-opener, but and it is kind of complicated sometimes to understand how to put, do the inputs, but our, the one that you've got is fairly simple, and it ranges from a fairly... I think short you one. actually have a short one and a, and yeah, a short one and a long one. Long one. Yeah. And the twenty-minute one took me maybe eleven minutes. Oh, so I think it just depends on the person, and yeah. you know, I was able to import my electric utility information at the time. Oh, and the twenty-minute one is the long version, right? <laughs> the yep. other one is a is a if you're really focusing, you can do it in a couple minutes. It's about a minute. It's uh, it's just really simplistic, and it's it's more general than per, than yeah. specific. And it really is an eye opener for some people. And I, I guess if you had to prioritize, you've got. Uh, travel is a fairly big part of that, and then what you use in your house is a, is a big contributor. So uh, what other programs are you working on now? And then maybe you can give us a little bit of insight into any new programs you're thinking of, Zach. Yeah, so so one of the main things that, uh, that our group works on is basically administrating the uh, municipal departmental climate protection programs. So we, each one of our, the city departments has a climate protection plan, which has goals and targets and actions, which each department is going to implement to reduce their carbon footprint. So is is that mandatory? uh, It's, yeah, it's mandatory per our, per our resolution, which has basically established the the climate protection program. So that resolution was passed in 2007 and basically establishes that the city will do a lot of different things. And one of those things is have departmental climate protection plans. Okay. That was the, the resolution that the city council adopted. Yep. Yep. 
Yep. And the, the sort of the longer term portion of that resolution is for the for city operations to be carbon neutral by 2020, which is a pretty you know aggressive and yeah. uh, and good goal. And and that's all departments and all their buildings, their travel, their yeah buildings and transportation. Wow, that is an aggressive goal. And and there's a lot of different companies, private companies and agencies that are taking up similar goals and. And, and and it's aggressive, but I, I think it's doable if you have the right uh, people behind it and, and people like your program and pe- uh, staff out there making sure it's getting done. Yeah, yeah, because there are a lot of steps. I mean, everything from the first step is doing your carbon footprint and figuring out where your emissions are coming from and then identifying programs, implementing those programs, tracking the results, communicating the results, keeping momentum going, um, and when we talk about actions, it's everything from, you know, simple things like turning off the lights to expensive things like um, replacing chillers and buying electric vehicles and, um, and solar PV. I mean, it's, it's, there's a wide range of things to do. So um, the prioritization and the, um, all the wheels that are turning behind the scenes to actually get these things done takes a lot of work. Yeah. Well, like you say, the, hard, the first hard part is to figure out where you are, how much you're using and, and how yeah. and where in your program. Yeah. Uh, some of the other programs that we have are um, the air quality programs that the city has um, currently lie within the climate protection program. Um, we have the tree programs and the urban heat island programs that Leah talked about. Um, we have an outreach program where we have um, a staff member who's available um, potentially all of her time to basically educate um, and train city employees, schools, businesses, um, whoever wants to learn about climate protection and um, and these issues. Yeah, I saw that on your website. You actually have... Uh, several people that will go out and give presentations or is it and, and talk with with staff members and or is we, it just the we one we have one person and uh and she loves her job so right. we don't want to take it away from her <laughs> i think yeah. so far she's done what 70 80 now uh, presentations since the year began wow. yeah just this year so she is a busy lady <clears throat> yeah so, every year we're reaching thousands of people yeah. um, we were we were tracking it recently yeah. and um besides her you know lucia is also available and is and is out in the community making presentations i'm doing the same thing um, yeah, but, was, but mary's really committed to it okay i was going to say if i called up and i said i want zach to come give a presentation or i wanted leah to come and talk about trees maybe we could do that, do that. yeah yeah you, good you of course could do that so what else? Yeah, some other programs are, uh, let's see, um, some newer programs that we're working on are uh, the STAR Community Index, which is a, a program that's being, uh, the city won a grant uh, with um, the, the organization called ICLE, and it's basically a, a program where we're, um, there's different cities working together, basically trying to establish what are the criteria for sustainability within a city. Um, so there's right now, I think there are up to 80 different measures to measure um, all sorts of different um, metrics around sustainability in a city. Okay, so measuring what you're using right now. Yeah, well, it, and I think this, and I think this stems from um, a lot of times you'll see a, a ranking, you'll see an article that comes out that says San Francisco's the greenest, Portland's the second greenest, Austin's the third greenest. Yes. Um, how do and, we get to be number one? Yeah, right? how do you get to be number one? How's that defined? How do you define what's green, what's not green? And this is an initiative to try to establish, you know, this is what green means, mm. and here's the data that you could actually collect and actually um, publish and communicate um, to basically establish real criteria and real um, comparable information across yeah. cities. And it's comprehensive. It's a difficult uh, process and equation to try to come up with that indice, which is, I guess, what you're talking about. How, where do we rank? 
Is that was that an actual ranking that you just gave? Or? No. <laughs> oh, okay. No, no. Well, you know, and that's kind of the, you're that's, wishing. Yeah, that's kind of the thing. I mean, if you googled, you know, if you googled Green Cities or Austin Green City, you know, we'd be high, we'd be low, we'd be all, we wouldn't even be on some rankings. I mean, and that's mm. kind of the challenge right now is that um, there is no clear comparable standard. The data is incomplete out there, so it's you know it's hard to say. Yeah, and I'm sure it has to be by size of city. You yeah, don't, you don't want to be stuck with a you know either a little tiny city that can do everything by one department and save on, on their carbon footprint that way. Yeah, so, it's complicated. Yeah. Yep. Uh, another program that we have um, that's that we sort of had a soft launch for, but we're um, moving towards a more um, a stronger and more defined program is going to be called Austin Green Business Leaders, which is a program where businesses in the community can basically commit to be green um, and commit to certain actions, and we'll basically work with them um, in order to sort of do all they can uh, to be a green business, and then eventually provide recognition um, but all the details for that program aren't aren't worked out yet i want to hear more about that when they emerge uh, yeah. she had talked a little bit about that when i did the interview with her yeah, yeah sounds and, like something yeah, for the, would love to the green network that. yeah because we Absolutely. really want to work more with the community and really engage all the businesses within austin because that's where you know all the exciting things are happening and the sort of the um there's a lot more energy there than just within the city departments yeah yeah and, and uh, I guess your goal is to incentivize the businesses through discussion and and maybe non-monetary pushing. Uh, but eventually, I guess it has to get, when we need to get to a higher level, we need to implement some kind of incentives. Or I mean, once you start getting to that point where you have to invest a lot of money to get that next level of carbon reduction. Yeah. It's well, mostly get, about recognition at this point, though. Yeah, right? and I think incentives kind of fit into it in two angles. I mean, one thing, the city has a lot of incentive and rebate programs that we currently offer that aren't really packaged and marketed to the community in a cohesive way. So there are a lot of things that a business can do and, and get money from the city to basically implement programs. So part of it's going to be helping push businesses to more to participate more in those programs. The other incentive is just like you said, I mean, recognition. If if you know, I'm a restaurant and I'm a green business, and this other restaurant isn't a green business. You know, if you care about green, there's potentially a you know a marketing advantage for you for doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, similar to the Energy Star program, is that your if your house is rated as an Energy Star house, the neighbors is not. You have that bragging right, and it may have a, an economic incentive in the end by the time you sell the house that you can say that you have the stamp. Somebody next door might say, "Wow, this is a really inefficient or ineff- a real efficient house," but they don't have that label. It makes a big difference. Definitely. Well, it sounds like you're doing some incredible programs and you've got a lot of work to do and a lot behind you. Uh, we've been talking with uh, Leah Haney from the Urban Heat Island Program and Zach Bomber from Austin Climate Protection Plan. So we've got about 30 seconds and then we've got to step aside for Susan Gale, the Queen of Spoons and Food Love Austin. Tell us where, tell our listeners where they can get more information about your program, Leah, and then maybe some of the general programs at uh, the Climate Protection Plan. Well, you can do a straight Google for Austin Urban Heat Island, or uh, you can go to www.austintexas.gov slash urbanheatisland. Yeah. And there's another one. Isn't it Cool Austin? Or is it coolaustin.org? For climate protection, it's coolaustin.org. Okay. But you can always get to it through the main city site, I guess. But Oh, definitely. Yep. Be- best is, and I know it came up quickly for me if, it's, if you do a search on... Uh, Austin Climate Protection Plan. Yep. Yeah, well, and there's a new city sustainability website which has more about the offices of the Office of Sustainability. Oh, right. is is there a particular address for that? Yeah, it's austintexasgovernor sustainability I think. Okay, yeah, that's not too hard to find. It's gorgeous. It's new, and uh, we're 
really proud of it. Yeah. Well, great. Well, again, thanks for coming by, Zach and Leah. Really appreciate your time and your insight into the Austin Climate Protection Plan. And thanks for staying with us here at Shades of Green Energy. We will be back next week with all three of us, John Hoffner, Reed Sternberg, and Deborah Dubay. You have been listening to Shades of Green Energy recorded live at KOOP 91.7 in Austin, Texas.